0: Stephen Hermeson with a slower ball, one of the great balls. That's a big hit, that's going all the way. Robert Sanders comes to the 50, it's on
1: the roof. Jones, Barman, Kasparovic, the band
0: to go. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Top Edge podcast for another massive week of cricket. We're going to start with the BBL, but first we're going to say hello to Callum. So how are you doing? Callum, I'm sure uh, a little bit less sleep than you'd like with the World Cup uh, starting on kick
1: Yeah, yeah, um, maybe a little bit less so. Um, been interviewing a couple of uh, overseas folks as well, mm. so been um, getting up to uh, to chat to them. Um, but, yeah, no, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. You know, the World Cup's always really huge spectacle. Um, you know, a bit difficult with it being in Qatar, but, you know, we soldier on, do our best to cover it. And, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, the cricket keeps going. A lot of Australian cricket which is much better for my sleep.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, the, yeah, these world tournaments don't do much for the sleeping habits. That's for sure. Uh, my cricket from the weekend, things are things are starting to get a little bit better. So we had a win on the weekend for the first time this year. So that's always good. Uh, didn't take any wickets I only made 15 with the bat. So not great for myself, but you know, a win's a win and, and that's always good.
1: Yeah, no, nah, I mean, look, I, I'm sure you bowled economically. Um, I'm sure you. Worked in the uh, in the team in the team dynamic, and um you know in the end, like you said, a win's a win. So I don't think don't think you're at risk, especially considering you bowled pretty well in last week.
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't go for 37 from two overs this week, so that's always that's always a win. Uh, the red ball cricket's not far away though, which is good. There's only a couple of weeks until that that test starts to kick off. The prime minister's eleven game is also I think that's in a couple of days' time, so that's going to be good. And uh, Pat Cummins is trying to make amends with Justin Langer. I don't know, buying him lunch and, and taking him out for dinner. That must be nice. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how Justin Langer reacts to that, but I, I don't even know why he's doing it, to be honest with you. It just seems a bit odd. Uh, I think just move on. That's probably the best way to do it.
1: Yeah, it is a strange one. I guess I guess it's just his his effort of trying to make amends. Um, I don't know. I mean, Pat Cummins is quite famous with restaurant controversy. I remember picking up the... Uh, <laughs> COVID-19 during, I can't even remember which series it was, but yeah. Um, so I don't know. Restaurants seem like a risky, risky business when it comes to Cummins. But, um, you know, I I, I don't have one opinion one way or the other. He can do it if he wishes to.
0: Yeah, it just seems odd to take your former boss out to dinner, but it is what it is. We'll move on to uh, the major billing of the week, and that's the WBBO. We've got it coming up first this time. Uh, so the main rounds are all done. It's finals time uh and the Scorchers missed out and that was the the biggest surprise so going into last week we thought well, they're the Scorchers right they're gonna they're gonna sneak through but yeah they lost their last three games and suddenly the scorches are all gone
1: they did yeah they really stumbled over the finishing line in a very unscorches like um performance mm-hmm. um and yeah um I guess you know when we were previewing the scorches, and scorches were my pick to win so I guess you probably should have known that they wouldn't have made the finals when you heard <laughs> me predict them to win. Um, I'm infamous in terms of uh, jinxing cricket teams or cricket players and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, look, with the Scorches, um, we identified at the beginning that they would be really dangerous if they performed with the bat and ultimately they didn't quite perform with the bat. So that was the big difference. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Sophie Devine, average 14 with the bat and uh, or 16 with the bat, sorry, and we've identified it this season and i've said it for years now that it's really mooney and divine at the top of the order for the scorches that make the difference and uh if they're not scoring then they're not going to win mooney average 43 which is pretty good but still not you know 50 plus which he's done in the last few years so that makes a difference as well um, so finishing fifth with that lineup probably disappointing um, but if you lose more than you win you're not gonna you're not gonna get through and you know finishing the season with three losses not much you can really do there but the sixes they're the ones straight through to the final uh, finishing on 23 points, just lost two games for the season with one rained out and uh, won their last five in a row. So pretty dominant performance there from the Sixers.
1: Yep. Um, we were basically the Scorchers and the Sixers kind of swapped spots in terms of our preview. Mm. Um, we weren't sure about the Sixers in terms of what Perry would do, what Healy would do, um, and kind of just how the whole product would come together. whole product has come together really well. Perry's hit form, Healy's hit form, Bates has started to hit form. The Sixers are really, really dangerous. And, you know, they have the strongest top order when you look at those teams in the finals and they're going to be really, really hard to beat.
0: Absolutely. And then the Strikers are in second there on uh, net run rate, uh, finishing on 17 points alongside the Brisbane Heat. The Strikers had the advantage of winning their last two games where the Heat lost one and then had the final game rained out uh, on the Sunday when there was four games being played. And then the Hurricanes just squeeze into fourth there, but they also lost their last two. So there's a few upsets in that last day or last couple of days at least. And that's kind of flipped the table a little bit, but yeah, the the, the stars left it a little bit late. So there was a chance they could have made the finals. Uh, if they got a big win in that last game against the Heat, unfortunately the the, the rain came and, and ruined that chance for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, um, I saw the result with the Renegades and I was very surprised mm-hmm. and um, I was thinking it might come down to net run rate because the net run rates are pretty close between, you know, three, four and five as to who was going to get through and that sort of thing, but Perth lost. So that they fell short um, and, you know, it, it, It was very exciting for that to be, you know, it going down to right to the very end and not just being a foregone conclusion, as it almost seemed to be for the first few weeks of the WBBL. We were kind of saying, yeah, there's these four top teams and there's the other four teams. Well, Hobart have surged right up and they're, you know, they're in with a shot. Um, You know, I think I've said before, we've spoken about the team that just squeaks into like whether it's the playoffs or it's the the finals like it is an Australian sport. Um, they're often the team that's hardest to beat because they're the most determined. Mm. So um, definitely don't sleep on the hurricanes in terms of what might happen. But yeah, I mean, like you said, all the teams who made the finals all had a positive win loss record. Um, you know, I guess you can put an asterisk between the, uh, the rained out fixtures, which many teams had, but you know, ultimately they, they had a positive record and um, you want the winning teams being in the finals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the four best get in. And I think part of that is, you know, the the bash boost point obviously doesn't exist in the WBBL uh, like it does for for the men there. So um, that kind of made a difference. Uh, You mentioned the the rained-out games, right? So every team's had at least one rained-out game. But the Stars have had three rained-out games. And the the Thunder, who finish on the bottom, doesn't really make a difference for them only winning one game. But uh, they also had three rained-out games. So if the Stars could have just had you know, one of those results go their way or, or a couple of them, they would definitely would have been in the finals. And they kind of built up some form there winning three of their last five. They were they were starting to look good. And uh, Annabelle Sutherland was a big part of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think it's harmed Annabelle Sutherland Australia stock. So, you know, that's, that's good for her. But, yeah, it's unfortunate for the team because they were surging up, like you mentioned, and they were looking really good. But, yeah, sometimes that just happens, you know. Sometimes, you know, we always – Say when we qualify things. Oh, weather permitting. Well, weather was not permitting in this particular <laughs> particular instance. But you know, they'll 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 take solace in the fact that they really bounce back quite well after having a rough start and you know having a couple of rained out um rained out fixtures. And um, they'll probably they'll look at that. They'll keep a lot of their squad together. They may have lining returning, and they'll look to bring in strong momentum going to the next WBL.
0: Yeah, I think we predicted that we're going to finish pretty much down the bottom, right? With you know landing not there and then some overseas uh talent pulling out as well um it looked like it was going to be pretty difficult but you know Capsie and Sutherland they really stood up with the bat uh you know given responsibility pretty much uh you know when they're what 18 and 19 years old respectively so pretty young players and and they've done pretty well there it, it took them a little bit to get into the tournament as you'd probably expect you know giving being given that responsibility at such a young age isn't isn't easy but they they are built into it, and I think they'll be a force to reckon with going forward, especially when Lanning comes back and they get some bigger and better international players in. I think they they could definitely be dangerous for the next decade. You know, if Sutherland's there for she could pro- potentially play twenty more years at the Stars, right? Um, so there's there's plenty to plenty to like about that squad. Um, so let's look at the finals, right? So is Sid- are straight through. Uh, they'll be playing at North Sydney. That's that's where the finals going to be, which is good. A great ground there, and thankfully it's not pushed out to like Maui or or Ballarat like we've seen during this tournament will be at a uh, prestigious venue. And then uh, the heat and the hurricanes we playing at Karen Rolton over to start with. And then the strikers will play the winner of that game. Also at Karen Rolton giving the strikers, I would think home ground advantage that'll make a little bit of a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Strikers always seem to get, um, get a good draw when it comes to finals in terms of venues and that sort of things. Yeah. So, you know, lucky them. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that will actually give them an added element of pressure because, you know, they'll be like, we need to perform because they're going to be more of our fans here and that sort of thing. So I don't think it's necessarily a huge advantage, but I do think it is an advantage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the other things we're going to have a look at, the most runs and the most we get scored. So Beth Mooney scored the most runs, unsurprisingly. 434, uh, a strike rate of 120, 350s in there and a couple of ducks. And then Perry was second as well. So Pretty experienced kind of players, you know, Mindon Mindy Dupree is in there, Laura Wolvart, Ash Gardner, Georgia Redmayne, Alyssa Healy, kind of the, the players you'd expect, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you're an accomplished batsman at the, um, you know, international women's level, then you're an accomplished batsman at the domestic women's level. And it kind of panned out to be that way in terms of how the WBBL run scores went. And that's OK. You know, there's a reason they're these, they're these elite players and um, there's a reason they play internationally all the time. And that reason is because they're very, very good mm-hmm. and they're very good at what they do. And, you know, even even Mooney, when we were quite concerned the first three match days, she hadn't really gotten the score yet. Um, she just proved that, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent and ended up finishing top of the top of the ladder again in what we might even consider an off season, which is mm-hmm. absurd when you think of averaging over 40. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, nah, I think it's just a reflection on, you know, the quality of those players and um Sure, maybe it's a little disappointing that certain younger players didn't surge up that um that ranking. But, you know, I think th- they're knocking on the door and they're scratching there. They're definitely f- a few teenagers in the top 20. And um, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be change in the Australian women's domestic cricket scene, but it's just not happening quite yet.
0: Yeah, and with the with the ball, the same kind of thing, really. So Megan shoot up the top with 23 wickets, Ash Gardner, the same amount, which is good from an all-rounder considering she's in the top five run scorers as well. The pretty incredible season there. Uh, Amanda J. Wellington's in there and Annabelle Sutherland obviously had a great season, but the, the interesting one there at number three is Nicola Hancock, who took 22 wickets, 27 years old and hasn't yet played for Australia. I think uh, if you're going to keep you know, putting on performances like that, it can't be too far away before, a, before a call up comes.
1: No, you're right. It's hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore. Um, An Edge of the Crowd colleague of ours, Jessica Ross, pointed out that the WBBL team of the uh, of the tournament, which we'll get into in a moment, um, basically should be the Australian team minus one or two players. So, um, yeah, she was very impressive, and she's been good for a few years as well. Really solid in terms of economy, changing um, changing her approach when it's not working. Keeps a cool head, which is impressive for a fast bowler. Um, and uh, yeah, um, definitely someone to think about in terms of, you know, actually a bit of a more experienced player that you could bring in when we're talking about all these teenagers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's still a couple of spots to fill, even though I think they'll probably go to Perry and uh, and probably Georgia Redmayne as well. Um, before we get onto that team of the tournament, you mentioned though a couple of performances of the week. There's only two really standouts for me. Ash Gardiner with 85 or 48, this brutal hitting once again from her. Um, no, no real surprise. They're probably the biggest and most consistent hitter in uh, in women's cricket at the moment. And then Megan Shoot on the final day of uh, the tournament took six for nineteen for the strikers, so taking some good form into the final series.
1: Yeah, the six four was incredible, and Shoot's been really good all tournament. She just has a knack. Like even if you look at her and you think, oh, she doesn't really seem like that kind of li- limited overs bowler, you know, that killer, you know, either pace or change of change of um, you know line and length and that sort of thing yeah. that you expect out of a you know really elite t20 or one day bowler but shoot just knows how to take wickets doesn't matter what the format is yeah. and um yeah she took took six in that final strikers game which was really really important and um yeah i mean i think she also helps um in that the younger bowlers around her really enjoy bowling with her bowling and yeah. partnerships and just you know getting feedback from you know oh, should I hold the ball this way or that way? And that sort of thing. And I think it's just a really valuable member to have in the squad and kind of one of the reasons why the strikers are really, really threatening in the finals.
0: Yeah, I think shoots uh, a really good, just a uh, bowler in all formats. I'll be interested to see if she can kind of keep up um, in the next few years when T20 cricket becomes a bit more specialised with you know your slower balls, um, the, the stuff you mentioned, that your cutters, all that kind of thing. She kind of just bowls... Uh, not overly quick. She's probably, you know, around that 100-kilometre-hour mark where you've got, you know, Darcy Brown and stuff pushing one, 120s and even 130 in this tournament. Uh, and she swings the ball around, which isn't obviously all that great in uh, in one-day cricket. It doesn't swing as for as long or as much. So it'll be interesting to see if she can keep up there. I'm sure she will. She's she's plenty skilled enough. Um, and she's one of the players that did make the team of the tournament, so we'll go through that. Beth Mooney and Georgia Redmayne are opening the batting. Uh, Alyssa Healy at three, Ash Gardner at four, Sutherland at five, Aaron Burns at six, then uh, Amelia Kerr, Jess Johnson, who was named as the captain, Amanda Jade Wellington, Nicola Hancock, Megan Shute, and Molly Strano as the 12th player. Um, no real surprises there. Alana King obviously not in there, so we'll see what that means to the Australian team, whether they go with Wellington or or stick with King, or possibly, as I've said, they could do, play both.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they put both in the squad. Um, but right now going on current form, yeah. I think you'd want Wellington playing. Um, King didn't have a bad season by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. King was um, economic and, yeah. you know, um, did get wickets at key moments and that sort of thing. It's just she was on probably a bit of a weaker team than Wellington was um, as the tournament panned out. Yeah. And, um, you know, that that can happen. And, you know, different game situations require different types of bowling. Yeah. Um, Based on King's international form, it's hard to justify dropping her, but based on Wellington's not only domestic form, but also form in the 100, it's hard to justify not selecting her. So, you know, it's a selection headache, but it's a good headache to have.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think just pick both. they they both different leg spin. Uh, King's a bit faster, where Wellington really does throw it up and try to spin it as much as possible. As you said, though, King had a good season, 17 wickets, at an average of 16 and a economy rate of under six. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, especially when you don't make the finals as, as the Scorchers did not leading, leading to take it for that club. So a uh, pretty good season there. One thing I wanted to touch on though, I was watching some of the games uh, at Moe they played and I think it was maybe five or six during the week there. Um, firstly, I don't know why they're playing in Moe. There's other grounds where I'm, but it's so far away. It's like three hours uh, drive and the ground isn't that great. And that's what I want to talk about. So the boundaries there were taken in, I would say 30 or 40 meters from the edge of the grass. Um, I know you've obviously got to bring the, the rope in a little bit, but it's just, it's farcical that it's it's in that far end. I was watching Alice Caps; She just, uh, she got it into the crowd on the full a few times and it was, it just didn't look right. You know, on on TV, it just looks way too far in. It looks like they're playing on kids' boundaries and it's it's not good enough. All these all these girls can hit the hit the rope. So uh, yeah, it just, it just doesn't look right to me.
1: No, yeah, I agree with you. I, I remember seeing some vision being like, wow, those boundary lines are, Sure. <laughs> you know, I fancied my chances and I'm definitely by no means a, a power hitter, but um, yeah, I mean, I do not really know. Maybe, maybe they they measured out from the crease to where the boundary is and that was the regulation point or something like that. I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but yeah, just, it just, you're right. It didn't look correct. And um, you know, from what we've seen throughout this tournament players not only capable of clearing the rope in, you know, in the whole ground, hmm. That they're capable of clearing it quite dramatically, (laughs) you know. When you look at Gardner, like you mentioned, when you look at big hitters in the WBBL, Wolvart, another example, um, they can clear the rope quite comfortably. So I don't think you need to worry too much in terms of, as long as the ground looks okay, then you can do that. That's fine. And you know, different cricket grounds do have different dimensions. We've mentioned that a lot, and that's really common in Australia. So I don't think it would have really affected the product too much but you know that's the decision they ended up going with and you know it it led to some high scoring affairs.
0: It did yeah there was definitely some high scores a lot of 180s and it kind of progressed through the tournament um, from some lower scores at the start but as you said cricket grounds are different all around the world in terms of size and I think that's part of the beauty of it right it's none of it's the same and you've got to learn those conditions and that's kind of where you know home field advantage comes into it a lot of the time so yeah disappointing for me I think just leave the boundaries as they are and then you know run twos or um, just cricket can be played in different ways depending on different grounds, and we saw that in Australia compared to, uh, like the World Cup in the UAE, right? It's not all six hitting all the time. It's sometimes you got to run those two. So, yeah, odd for me. Um, we'll move on to the finals predictions though. So, uh, that first game with the Heat and the Hurricanes. For me, I just feel like the Hurricanes are in a little bit better form. I feel like the Heat have dropped off a little bit. Um, so for me, the, the Hurricanes going to get through.
1: Um, yep, I see, I see your point. And, um, I definitely gave, a gave a case for the hurricanes in terms of, you know, the, the mental, the mental side of it and that sort of thing. But, oh, I mean, looking at the power in the heat team, it's hard to ignore, isn't it? You know, the Harris sisters, um, red main, just the talent that's on that heat team. Um, I find it hard to look past and I think, I think the heat are actually going to take that one.
0: I don't think it's really going to matter though because I think the strikers will beat whoever whoever gets through there. They're, um, yeah, the, the strikers are easily the best, uh, one of the best two teams there, along with the Sixes, and I think it'll definitely be those two that get through to the final.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, um, the strikers are just just look look a step above. You know, now that they've put everything together, and they were always a strong team throughout the um, throughout the tournament, but now that they've put everything together, they look extremely dangerous. Their bowling attack's probably the best, and the Sixers... Batting is probably the best. So it's going to be a really great matchup if that is what the final turns out to be.
0: Yeah, you, you said it best there. It's going to be the best bowling lineup with the strikers against the best batting lineup with the Sixers. And whoever can win that battle at North Sydney, I think will take the trophy. Um, North Sydney, pretty small boundaries though. So I, I think the Sixers will probably, you know, they've got the advantage of of being there a week longer. Um, you know, they're already in Sydney, they'll stay there the whole time. And they know that ground inside and out. Like at least Perry's hit double hundreds on that ground before. Um, plenty of runs scored there. So the Sixers for me look like they look like the team that's going to win it.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Sixers are the favourites to win right now.
0: Excellent. So that's it. that's it. Sixers will win the tournament. Uh, a little bit different to what we predicted uh, six or seven weeks ago, that's for sure. Uh, we'll move on to what I promised at the end of last week's episode, and that's the BBL super coach. Obviously the BBL is still a couple of weeks away, but you've got to get on your super coach team early. Otherwise you're going to fall behind. Uh so we'll go through the rules first essentially how you score points right so one run per uh, one point per run obviously and then uh, and then run bonuses for uh so you get 10 points if they score more than 50 20 points for 100 so you really want to get those players that I would suggest just get opening batters because they get the the most opportunity right um and then strike rate bonuses different stuff for you know all the way up to a strike rate of 160 with a bonus 25 points there 10 points for a wicket which is important so if if you've got bowlers that uh you want bowlers that are taking wickets effectively, um there is economy rate bonuses, but it, it's really those wickets that, that you're after. No one's going at less than four and over. That's just just not happening. And then obviously points for, for catches and, and runouts and stumping. So that's one to watch. Interesting that they've got rid of the uh the wicket keeper catch, which used to be less points than the outfield catch. Um, but the things to remember when picking your team. So the most important things are availability, right? So the Australian players are not there. They're just not going to play. Don't pick any. Don't pick Steve Smith. Don't pick Osman Khawaja. Osman Khawaja is a very uh, tempting pick. I know he's nice and cheap, but, uh, yeah, he's not going to play, so just leave him out of it. Marcus Harris, uh, some people I've seen have picked Marcus Harris in the thought that he's not going to play the first test. That doesn't mean they're going to let him play Big Bash. He will not be there. He'll be on the sidelines for the Aussie team running drinks. Um, there's also a few others, like Mitch Marsh and, and guys that could get called in. Uh, I'd, I'd suggest probably stay away from them for a little while, especially since the, scor- uh, the Scorchers aren't playing. Another um, one to double rounds. So the way the Big Bash works is uh, there's kind of rounds which don't make a lot of sense. So there's like five games per round, uh, plenty of teams playing doubles and then some missing uh, with bias as well. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, but what you want to be doing is picking as many doubles as possible, right? So if you've got players that are playing two games, pick them. That's, that's what makes the most sense, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you have faith in your team, then ultimately it will all even out. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, you're, if you're inclined to be patient and be like, well, Perth aren't playing in the first week, but I really like, you know, Jai Richardson, for example. Well, that's fine. You can have that player on your team, but maybe just have it on your bench. Yeah um and you know you can shuffle that around for the for the following match day and um you know that way you can feel like you know you're not betraying your player or anything like that um while still having you know um your potential to get as many points as you can and um yeah those double double rounds are definitely big opportunities especially if players are informed you know we've seen Rashid Khan take eight wickets in double rounds before we've seen you know multiple half centuries hit in double fixtures so it's um it's definitely a big opportunity if you're um if you have faith in a particular player and you make him your captain, that could be huge points.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Captaincy is also important. So double points for the captaincy and then the vice captain, if that play doesn't get up, but I think you said it there, the the players that you believe in that will play for your side, essentially the whole tournament. Um, if they're not, don't have double rounds, put them on the bench. Um, they'll still bring cash in for you, which is important, right? So for for the players on the bench, you want guys that are, that are building cash that are, that are going to make uh more runners than predicted or take more wickets than predicted in order to push their base price up, essentially giving you more money to trade in players going forward. Um, so for round round one, there's three teams with doubles, which are interesting, the Stars, uh, the Strikers and the Thunder, but then the Thunder have a buy the next round. So you don't want to be bringing in too many Thunder players because then you'll have to be trading them out um, in order to bring probably Scorchers players in for round two. But we won't go too deep into it. Um, we'll go through my side to begin with before we get to yours, Calum. So I've got Matthew Jilk's keeping because essentially he's got the double round to start off with, with Inglis on the bench. Um, Inglis is another one of those players that could get called up to the test team if Kerry gets injured, but I'd suggest he's probably safe at the Scorchers for a while there. Uh, I've got Hales with the bat, double round. Uh, he's also excellent, been at the Thunder for a long time and is very good at the big bash. Uh, Colin de Granholm, going to bat and bowl for the Strikers, probably top four batter and, and uh, I think would bowl all four overs as well. Riley Rousseau, who some people are definitely underrating going into this tournament. I think he's going to dominate uh, alongside Hales. I think they'll probably open together. Uh, Jake Weatherald with the bat. I've done that as kind of a point of difference. A lot of people have gone with Chris Lynn uh, as the strike that striker's batter. I just don't think that Lynn, uh, firstly, he hits straight. That's how he scores sixes. And then he's playing Adelaide Oval twice, long straight boundary. So that's a big hit to clear not sure he can do that. And then, you know, Weatherald, a little bit more experience and plays to those square Adelaide boundaries a lot better. Marcus Stoinis, very cheap at $83,000 and uh, will bat and bowl, I would have thought. Um, and she just, you know, hits the ball a mile and will probably be captain for the Stars as well with uh, Glenn Maxwell out for the whole tournament as well. Darcy Short and Dan Hughes on the bench. Darcy Short speaks for himself, right? Massive hitter. And then Dan Hughes is in, well, incredible form really in, in uh, one-day cricket it hasn't really translated to the Big Bash in the past, but I feel like this could be his season. Uh, Matt Short, I've got as a bowler, uh, essentially because he can bat and bowl, right? So you want bowlers that can do a little bit of both, ideally, unless they're absolute guns like Rashid Khan, uh, who I've also got in there. Um, interestingly, he's ta- he hasn't taken a lot of wickets this year, right? He's been a little bit slow, and I think we've talked about it a few times. Uh, but for the big bash and with the, uh, for the strikers, he'll just dominate. Uh, no surprise there. Daniel Sams will be massive for the Thunder. Uh, obviously, no Kawaja at the Thunder. He'll probably spat, I would have thought, in the top six this year. Uh, and then, obviously, bowl his four overs and can absolutely smash it out of the park, hit sixes. So the, looking at the strike rate bonus there. Brody Couch, who really stood up for the Stars last year uh, with the ball, and he's going to be a massive part of that bowling lineup. probably taking the new ball. And then Adam Samper, who's in incredible form. We've seen it in the in the World Cup and then the the ODIs for Australia and, importantly, not playing test cricket, so it doesn't matter. Ashton Agar's also not in that test setup, so that's not a big deal. He's on the bench, along with Michael Nisa. So a couple of guys that could get called up for test cricket but should be there from the start. Agar obviously buys for Agar and Inglis in the first round but will come in and be pretty important in that second round.
1: Yeah. um, I quite like your bowler picks in that you've picked, you know, a lot of wicket-takers in your starting bowlers, but your bench bowlers are actually quite good in terms of economy rate. And you get bonuses from seven and lower for economy rate. Um, Ashton Agar has not been unknown to go at less than, you know, five and over, which could yeah. get you a big bonus. Um, Ness is the same. So y- you don't necessarily need to look at huge wicket takers. Like Ideally, you want wicket takers because, you know, they'll be really good for points. And it's just it's a bit more exciting. Yeah. But um, if you have really economical bowlers, they can definitely give you a really good return.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Ashton Agar went at less than seven last season and Nessa did the same. So that's some of the thinking there. And importantly, they both bat as well. So they could hit some lower order runs there. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's just about like consistency across your whole lineup and figuring out where those doubles are in order to take full advantage of, of, the, of those extra points.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I've got a bit kind of more of a long term mindset with my team just in terms of, you know, kind of hopefully developing cash mm. and hopefully being able to um, move things along as the rounds go along. So um my wicket keeper is Josh Philippi because I think he's just the best performing wicket keeper batsman yeah. in the BW in, in the BBL. Um my bench keeper is Sam Harper, who's just really solid and can sometimes, you know, bail out renegade collapses, which happen kind of frequently. So you know that's something that I put in um put in terms of um, my mindset. Um, my batsmen are Ben McDermott, Matt Short, I have selected as a batsman because he's it he was an excellent form last season, and I think he's going to do really well again this season. Uh, John O' Wells, Hilton Carthwright, another one of those who will probably bat five and be able to just hit big and have mm-hmm. you know full license to hit big. So that's kind of where I've gone for that. Um, Alex Ross on another team, which I feel may collapse. And Alex Ross is a middle order batter, yep. and then on the bench, I've gone for Caleb Jewell and Fraser McGurk, um, who I think will develop um, a bit of a, a bit of. Um, kind of cash for me going into the future rounds um Jules 91k Fraser McGurk's only 66k and they're both pretty good performers when it comes mm-hmm. down to it so that was kind of my logic there and then on the bowling side I've gone for Sean Abbott because I have to <laughs> um, I've gone for Wes Agar because I think he's going to be a huge wicket taker going to be really important this season for the strikers um Nathan Colton Nile, just historically has a really good t20 record Uh, Matt Kuhneman, because I wanted to have um, a good spinner in there. And I feel like, you know, with the way Brisbane have changed their lineup, um, he might play a bigger role than he has in the past. Um, Todd Murphy, um, kind of from, you know, good form in uh, the domestic season and the one-day cup and that sort of thing. Um, That informed my pick there, also quite cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, Then on the bench, I've gone for Jai Richardson, because he's a scorcher, and uh, Will Sutherland, because he's one of those um, bowlers who can bat a bit and um, d- does a little bit of everything, can be Can be a big hitter and um, also quite cheap. At, um, he's my cheapest player at 62K.
0: Yeah, good call all around. I think there's definitely a, a longer look at it compared to mine. There's the kind of two ways to play it. You're either just chasing big points every round or you're trying to get consistency in order to win at the end. And yeah, definitely two ways to play it. Um, neither of us picked Tim David, though, which I found interesting. We obviously talk about him every four and a half seconds on this podcast. I'm going to do it again he's at uh, i think it's 86000 so very cheap for the kind of damage he can do but uh, as a middle order batter and with the the hurricanes they're having you know wade and short at the top of the innings and then caleb jewel in there as well i'm just not sure how much uh, how much time of the crease he's going to get
1: yeah, that was similar logic to like, I was looking at David when I was selecting McDermott, I was looking at David and I was like, oh, he's much cheaper and he's just as good. But I, I ultimately went with McDermott because he either, he either opens or he comes in at three. Yeah. Um, He gets more exposure in terms of being able to hit and hit big. And because he's on the fringe of those Australian teams and that sort of thing, he's going to want to perform big. And, you know, I, I look at the mental side of the game quite a bit, and I think that'll have a big impact on his performance.
0: Yeah, he'll also probably keep as well, so that could bring in some extra points. And I think that's important. You want to get multidisciplinary players that can uh, that either take a lot of catches in the outfield, which you know Tim David also does, but I've seen him drop some in the past as well. Um, where McDermott, I wouldn't think would do that. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of that's the idea of it, right? You get just get as many players in that are going to build cash going forward, especially in the early rounds, right? You want to be bringing in Mitch Marsh, who, if you look at it, it's like two hundred and forty six thousand. Uh, that's a lot of money to, to put up first, and he's going to obviously make a lot of runs and take some wickets towards the end of the season. So you want to find a way in for him, and doing that, as you said, is building building money on the, on the bench. But we'll move on. Two six are out. We're going to mix it up and put it in third this time. Um, I'll kick things off with the first question. So today, the avenue for David Warner to become captain officially opened again. Um, do you think he's going to be appointed captain for Australia uh, again?
1: Um. yes. I think it wouldn't have been such a debacle and such a public debacle if there weren't some murmurings in the back rooms about making David Warner a captain. So I think it is going to happen. I don't know how long it's going to happen for, but you know, I think they want to not only do they want to do it in terms of they think, you know, he's an aggressive, positive player. He might bring that aggressive, positive mindset to the captaincy and to the team and that sort of thing. But I think there's also an element of they want to give him some redemption from, you know, every player from the, the sandpaper gate, as we call it, copped a lot of ire and be so. But I don't think anyone copped it nearly as bad as David Warner did. And, you know, that, that will definitely have an effect on someone, you know, right or wrong. Oh, that level of scrutiny is going to going to really affect someone. And it probably has, you know, even if he doesn't present it, affected David Warner quite dramatically. So I think it would be a real personal achievement for him. And um, it would feel, I guess, symbolic of truly moving on from that whole incident. I guess, I guess the best symbol of truly moving on from that incident would be seeing um, Bancroft in a team. But I don't know whether we're going to see that um, it seems like the water captain thing's more likely, but, you know, it still, still kind of has some symbolic value.
0: Yeah. And I think Bancroft will have to score a lot of runs to get past. Some of the openers that are already in line, you know, Henry and players like that are not impossible though. He batted pretty well last week.
1: Yeah. All right. So my first question is kind of related to the, to the WBBL and um a few of those games that did get rained out did end up having some play, but just not enough to qualify. Um, would you would you consider counting those results or do you think it makes the most sense to make them no results?
0: Yeah, no, I just think no results is the way to go. Um, what I think they should be doing, though, is looking at forecasts ahead of time and then figuring out, oh, we're obviously not going to get 20 overs in here. Let's shorten the game beforehand to make sure we get a 10-over result or a 15-over result, something like that. Because currently they're trying to bat out 20 overs and then obviously we're not going to get through the next innings, right? So then there's only three or four overs bowled in the next one and it just doesn't make any sense. So I think a little bit of um, foresight to realise 20 overs aren't going to happen here. Let's just play a 10-over game uh, as long as the captains agree to it and then and then go from there. That's probably the best way to do it. But yeah, uh, just like the, the Melbourne stars prism Heat game, only 3.5 overs bowled in that second inning's it's not, not quite enough, I don't think. I think the Heat would be pretty disappointed if they missed out on finals because of that. All right, so we'll move on to this one. Josh Hazelwood became the Australian captain in the ODI team when there was like three or four different options. You know, Carey, Smith, Head, even Pat Cummins could have played, I guess, um, who, who I would have described as like ahead of him in, in the leadership stakes. But does it really matter who's taking the job on the day?
1: Um... I think it does matter. You know, I think, I think leadership does matter, but I think Hazelwood, you know, even though you don't think of him as a leader does have those qualities. Um, And if he keeps his head, which sometimes he doesn't, but if he does keep his head, then he's, he's very good in terms of, you know, motivating his guys, putting on good performances and, um, you know, having those leadership, those in some of those intangible leadership qualities that different players have. So, you know, I think, I think it's fine um I agree with you in that it could have been you know two or three other guys who could have done just as good of a job but you know I don't think it was necessarily a bad choice and you know they didn't win so (laughs) I guess it worked and um you know maybe maybe that puts Hazelwood in discussion or maybe when um the captain isn't playing they just put everyone's name in a hat and they pick someone out so (laughs) um, I'm being a little bit facetious there but I think um I think, yes, it matters, but I also think there's a lot of leaders on the Australian team.
0: Yeah, we've gone from not being allowed to have fast bowls as captains to now exclusively having fast bowls as captains, which is which is a little bit odd.
1: <laughs> well, we suggested maybe that's the way forward before. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, you said you think George Bailey might listen. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> could be the case. Could be the case. All right. So I know we were doing Supercoach and we kind of, you know, talked a lot about what players we think are good value and what players we think will get big points and that sort of thing. Um, who would you think... We didn't have too many international players. You had a couple with Russo and Hales. Yep. Um, why do you think... I think more super coach teams aren't going with international players. Why do you think that is? Is because they're playing different tours or is it because they don't know them as well? Or what do you think the case is there?
0: Yeah, so I think it's just about, uh, you know, the South African League and the UAE League You want players there for as long as possible, right? I thought about putting Andre Russell in, but he's only playing four games, right? And and it's just not quite worth it, Um, especially with how the the doubles work. It just doesn't make sense to have someone that's not going to play any of those double rounds. And uh, yeah, I think you said it right. You're not quite sure how international players are going to do, like Sam Billings. I looked at Sam Billings and Colin Munro at the Heat. Um, They're also a little bit more expensive than Australian players who probably perform just the same way. Um, I think Hales and Russo, as you mentioned, are a little bit undervalued uh, in Super Coach. Rashid Khan probably overvalued, but you still got to get him in there. Um, yeah, it's just about availability. So uh, as we saw at the auction, a lot of these players aren't gonna be around the whole tournament. Uh so that, that's part, part of the reason. Interestingly, though, none of us went for any of the Hurricanes players from you know the Pakistan guys they picked up. I think once again, it's just an unknown quantity there. We're not quite sure how they're gonna do in Australia. So yeah, the, the Australian players a little bit of a a little bit more of a safer pick, I would have thought.
1: Yeah. I mean, another thing to note about the Pakistan players is a lot of them are eligible for the ODIs and there's going to be an ODI series yes. in, in between. So that's probably, you know, I looked at Shadab Khan and I was like, I'd love to have Shadab Khan. But then I was also like, but he might not be there the whole time. So, you know, um, trying to look at it from a, from a longer term lens, that's kind of where my justification came in.
0: Yeah, I, I looked at Shadab Khan as well. And I thought he's only really worth it if he's going to bat as well. And with that Hurricanes batting lineup being so strong, you know Wade Short, uh, McDermott, and then uh, Tim David as well. I just don't see him batting enough for that for that pick to be worth it. Um, so if you you had to pick, you're picking an eleven, and you had to pick between the number one bowler in the world or the number one batter in the world, who are you going with?
1: Bowler. The reason I'm going bowler is because, you know. When I think of historic cricket performances, I always end up going back to historic bowling performances. You know, like even in recent memory, bolands you know, what, um, six for nine off like five overs or something, that was incredible. Um, you know, Nathan Lyons, 10-wicket match. Um, just, yeah, every every big cricket memory I have in terms of huge monumental performances are just bowling-centric. Now, that could just be a reflection on me and how I I look at the game and that sort of thing. But I feel like bowlers have bigger potential to absolutely take a game away than batters do. And not that batters don't. You know, really elite batters can, you know, if you see someone hit a double century like Elise Perry that we mentioned earlier on, um, that can definitely take a game away from someone. But I feel like if you have the best bowler in the world who's probably in the best form, um, I think they can break down anyone.
0: Yeah, I think part of it is also the speed of which it can happen. Like a, a bowler, like Stuart brought at the Ashes when he took 8 for 15, he ripped through Australia in half an hour, where if a batter's going to take the game away, it's going to take at least a session, a session and a half, something like that. It's going to take a little bit longer. So part of it's just, you know, the, the quick impact that bowlers can have. Uh, but yeah, i I'd definitely go the number one bowler as well. I think you've got to take 20 wickets to win a test match and, and that's the, the best way to do it.
1: Yeah, that was a good question. Really like that one. Um, all right, so we um, looking at the uh, the team of the tournament from the uh, WBBL, and uh, Molly Strano being twelfth um, woman. Um, she obviously had a really good tournament. Was really impressive. The ball. Um, do you think that the twelfth woman or twelfth man spot in like one of these teams of the tournament should that just be? The player that didn't quite make the cut, as is often the case, or should it be the best outfielder?
0: I think they just shouldn't pick one at all. Uh, I don't want to sit on the bench of a best or a best 11, that doesn't make sense, but yeah, no, I think just the, the next best player they always seem to go to bowlers, which is interesting. I think part of it's they do it because you either pick an extra fast bowler, an extra spinner, and that's that's the reason they do it. Uh, but yeah, I just find it a little bit odd that they decide to pick someone who's in that best 11, but it's not going to play. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but the outfielder one's interesting, right? Like having the best, the best fielder there uh, to come on would also make a, that's that's a, that's a good idea. Actually. I quite like that. Uh, move on to the Australian ODI series, the series that no one wanted and everyone's going to forget, but we'll talk about it anyway. Uh, Australia are two nil up in that series after winning the first one in Adelaide and then going to Sydney and, and winning pretty comp- comprehensively. Uh it looks like half of the England players had probably hung over or tired in that first match. And it just it wasn't really
1: worth playing after they won the World Cup. What do you mean no one's gonna remember it? We beat the world champions. <laughs> Everyone's gonna remember it for years and years. And yeah, no, look, I I understand. It's um it does feel like a pointless series. Um, it feels like they're just Oh, oh! They looked at the schedule. Oh, yeah, England will be here. England will probably make make the knockout stages, right? So, so then th- then we can play England, and then that'll that'll be really good. And lots of people will watch. Um, not that many people have watched. Um, and yeah, it just hasn't hasn't worked in terms of you know the scheduling and yeah the players commitment. You know, Australia rotated a little bit. Australia named Josh Hazelwood as their captain. You know. Yeah. Um, and with all due respect to Josh Hazelwood, great player, great leader, you know, all those sort of things. But if you're nominating someone who hasn't been in captaincy contention as the captain in a series, it kind of speaks to the reputation of the series. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's felt pointless. It's not felt competitive, even though that first ODI was quite competitive. And, um, yeah, it's a shame because, you know, if you want to see England versus Australia, You want to see England at their best. England were not at their best. And, you know, we played well and we deserved the, the wins that we got. But, you know, I feel like they didn't have as much value as if it was, say, two or three months removed from the World Cup. Yeah, so I've got
0: an interesting thought about Hazelwood being the cap being named captain there. So obviously they named Cummins captain after Finch retired. And that was a little bit controversial, right? They thought, well, why would you give it to someone who's playing all this cricket is going to have to captain in test matches, play every test match now, and also now have to play every one-day game. I think if they gave it to someone like Steve Smith or Alex Carey or Travis Head, uh, they would have, people would have said, the media mostly would have said, well, why don't we just give it to him from the start, right? He's going to be there. He's going to play every game. You don't rest batters in the same way you rest bowlers. So giving it to Hazelwood kind of uh, diffuses that kind of argument, of, I think. Um, it, I, I just don't think the, the captain needs to see you something you give as a reward for good performance in the past. I think it's something you should you should be earning uh, as a captain. Um, you know, Pat Cummins didn't really do any apprenticeship there, but everyone knew that he was going to be the next test captain, right? It was that, that was pretty obvious. When Hazelwood was named the captain on Saturday morning, that was just a surprise. Uh, no one knew that was going to be the case. Um, I don't think anyone would have cared either if if Steve Smith was named captain for the day. Like uh, When Pat Cummins played his second test match out with COVID, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Steve Smith stood up and captain there, so he could have easily done the same, same in this match, and it just it just felt odd that they would give the ODI captaincy to someone who's probably never going to captain Australia again.
1: Yep, yep, I agree with you. It is odd, and yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. Maybe maybe they offered it to Smith, and Smith is like, "No," because then everyone's going to say I should be captain. Yeah, and I think he's quite adamant about not wanting to be captain, <laughs> so there could have been an element of that. Um, I'm surprised it didn't give to Carry because yeah. you know Carry's is a solid leader. Carry is a really good locker room guy. He he has no ego whatsoever. So he, really, he's also
0: the official vice captain of the team. Like yeah, he's the, and he became the vice captain under Hazelwood as well. It just doesn't make didn't make a lot of sense.
1: No, no, but I, I guess I don't know. They wanted to to keep keep trying with the limited overs bowling captain and yeah. keep Carry in that position. You know just as the cooler head and that sort of thing as the as the vice captain. Um, I guess there's a logic there, but I don't know if it's good logic. Yeah, maybe
0: also they're just not quite sold on Kerry as the, as the keeper uh, in that team. Maybe they want to move on a little bit to to Inglis or someone else Philippi maybe uh, and giving Kerry the captaincy would have cemented his place in that side, so that could be the other reason. Uh, the best performances from these two games though, Darwin Milan in that first England innings, 134 of 128 including some massive sixes. He was, look, no one else made above 35. So he was really, he was the dominant performer there and, and made sure that England got past, you know, what could have been being bowled out for 200 after Adam Zampa and Pat Cummins took three each.
1: Yeah, I mean, honourable mentions to, you know, Billings and Butler and Willie in particular, you know, putting up um, good, solid performances alongside Mallon but yeah it was all Mallon it was you know once he got settled and he started swinging and hitting his shots it was you know it's why he's one of the best limited overs players in the world it's incredible um you know I think in terms of if you ever want to witness really great limited overs batting you just look at look at um highlights of Dawid Mallon and it's just it's so good so so good he's got a great technique he's got a great way of approaching things he's 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 patient, but he's also assertive. And you know, if, if you're teaching someone how to approach a little bit of nervous cricket, you're teaching them what Dawid is yep. doing.
0: Yeah, he, he accelerates perfectly in the back end of innings, uh, and he did that again against Australia. One thirty-four of one twenty-eight, pretty good stuff. Uh, then the Australian top order: eighty-six for Warner, sixty-nine for Head uh, off fifty-seven balls, so a good strike rate as well. And then Steve Smith finished it off with eighty, and he did the same in the next match uh, with ninety-four. Unfortunately, couldn't get to three figures, but. He's really starting to build up what I think is going to be a massive summer against some pretty weak bowling uh, with the West Indies. They only took, I think it was three wickets against the uh, against the New South Wales, pretty much third 11. Uh, Ollie Davies made a runnable century there. So, yeah, I'm not too sure that uh, they'll be getting Steve Smith out too much this summer.
1: No, yeah. Um, the thing with Steve Smith, um, from what I've seen in these ODIs, hmm. Um, is he's getting into the mindset of Test cricket Steve Smith. And when you see Test cricket Steve Smith um, as a bowler, you want to um, maybe bowl a two over spell and then sit for a while. That's kind of what it's like. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's really encouraging as an Australian fan to see him getting into this type of form and just looking really smooth, and looking really solid, and, you know, actually not edging things and defending, defending well and playing sensibly and playing assertively. And yeah, it's, um, he's been the player of the series. He'll probably be named player of the series at the end, end of it. Um, and uh, honestly um, in that second o- ODI honorable mention to Manus Labashain, you know, we were yeah. quite, um, quite critical of Labashain in terms of his one day acumen and um, you know, his performances at that level but he looks solid. He he played at a pretty good rate. Um, he played in a great partnership with Smith. I think that probably helps given that they love each other. Um, so that's probably a big, big contributing factor, but yeah, um, that was kind of, that's the most convincing one day performance I've seen from Lovashin.
0: Yeah. I still wouldn't pick him though. I just don't, I just don't feel that there's the, a need to have two Steve Smiths in that, in that one day team in test cricket. I'm happy to pick 11 Steve Smiths, but yeah, it just doesn't, Manus doesn't have the ability to accelerate like uh, some of the other batters that are that are waiting around. So, yeah, I'd be bringing in a McDermott or, or somebody like that who can really uh, smash the ball around and probably, like, he's probably saving Glenn Maxwell's spot, to be honest with you. Um, you know, Mitch Marsh is in there pretty comfortably as well as Stoinis now. So, yeah, I just don't see him going to the World Cup. Uh, I think Glenn Maxwell is the man there. He'll be bowling spin and someone else who was bowling spins, Agar and Agar and Adam Zampa, they are uh, forming a pretty deadly combination really uh, within those middle overs. Zampa taking all the wickets, but as you said earlier, Agar keeps it nice and tight and uh, going ahead to the the World Cup in India. I think they're looking at those two spinners as, as the way to go.
1: Yeah. Um, Agar's coming off some pretty good form. You know, the one T20 he played, he played really well. Hmm. Um, he He's in decent touch with the bat. He put on a nice cameo, the 18 of 12 um, in the second ODI. And yeah, um, the thing about Agar is if I was a bowler on a team with Ashton Agar, I would be so chuffed to be the one at the other end because he just has a knack. Even if he's leaking runs, like if he's going at over six and over or anything like that, he just has a knack of frustrating the batsmen. They only get it through like ones and twos and, you know, they always feel really excited if they do hit a boundary and then that, get, that tenses them up. Um, so Agar's a great a great guy to bowl in partnership with and when you have a player like Adam Zampa bowling in partnership with Ashton Agar then it's really really deadly because you know they turn it the same way but Zampa turns it a lot more and um, you know Zampa will try some things and, you know, when you're used to just kind of trying to, you know, poke Agar around and Zampa comes on with a wrong, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're ball through the gate. So it's it's a really good piece to have and probably a really important piece when you consider the, uh, the World Cup coming up.
0: The other thing to mention with Zampa is that during the week there was an article in the City Morning Herald which suggested that he will be playing... Test cricket uh, in India, or at least he's going to be picked in that squad. We mentioned it months and months ago, uh, so Sydney Morning was a little bit behind. But uh, the way he's bowling with like accuracy and on those Indian pitches, it'll turn no matter who's bowling. Uh, he's going to be really dangerous, I think.
1: Yeah, he could be dangerous. Um, I don't know if he'll make that team. Um, we've spoken about his first-class record and how yeah. questionable it is. Um, also, in terms of his is really a limited over specialist. He hasn't played a first-class game in, what, three years? I think that's right, yeah. That's a long time. And, um, you know, Zampa's had a couple of injuries and stuff like that, so you kind of worry. He is quite a quite a quite quite an active motion, so you kind of worry if he's going to be able to sustain that over, you know, big periods of bowling, what could be 15 over spells, like what Lion yeah. does. Um, so, you know, th- there are some con- concerns there, and you feel that some of the... Um, some of the spinners, you know, the, the, the Murphys, for example, um, in the uh, in the uh, Australian domestic setup will probably feel quite hard done by Swepson, another one, um, just because Zampa's, you know, that good that he gets to go on the coattails of his white ball form.
0: Yeah, Zampa said that he wants to play some first-class cricket for New South Wales before he goes. I think he's wanted to play more first-class cricket. It's just that South Australia haven't picked him uh, when he was at South Australia, and that's kind of why he's moved. Back to New South Wales, but if he's going to play for New South Wales, that means he's playing alongside line, which firstly is important in terms of what could potentially be a test selection, but also that would mean New South Wales would have to play two spinners, and I just can't see that happening. Um, they've got such a strong fast bowling lineup, even their you know their second third uh, bowling lineups are really strong. So I, I just don't see how he gets selected. Maybe his his way in is through uh, some Australia A games, or or potentially he could have played this Prime Minister's Eleven game, but. Yeah, I think he'll go on that tour. Whether he plays or not, it's a completely different story. They're probably going to take, uh, what, four spinners? They'll probably take Zampa and Swepson and Murphy and, and Lyon. They'll take all of them and just see who's the best at the time. There's also Maxwell there who could bowl more overs, so there's there's no shortage of spin options, that's for sure. Uh, the other international cricket that's on at the minute is uh, New Zealand and India. That's played in New Zealand where it's nice and wet. First one was rained out but the second one. They got 20 overs in. Uh, Tim Southie took a hat-trick. To uh, finish off that Indian innings, but Surakumar Yadav once again, seven one seven sixes uh, on small Indi- uh, small New Zealand grounds. He just dominated that game, smashed Lockie Ferguson all over the park, and uh, New Zealand just weren't quite ready for for that kind of brutal hitting.
1: No, um, and another one who may end up in the Test team on the coattails of his limited overs form. Yeah. Um, Surya Yadav has uh, expressed interest in playing um, in playing. Uh, Red ball cricket yep. um, for India, and um, look, I mean, I, I know I kind of gave gave a, gave the opposite argument in terms of Zampa, but Zampa's a bowler, Yadav's a batter. Yadav has actually shown in one day is that he can be patient when he needs to, and you know, India kind of they they want. Another top order batsman to to kind of, you know, as Pujara winds down and as, yeah. you know, some of their older players start to play less and less in terms of test cricket, um, they want to look at look an option. Not, not that Yard is that young, but he's not that old either. He's in his early 30s mm-hmm. and um, he could easily play another four or five years. So if they're interested in getting him in the red ball setup, and that's something, you know, worth thinking about when he's putting up scores like 111 or 51, you know, good batting is good batting regardless of the format. And if, if he's able to perform, overseas in particular, which he's proven that he has, then that could be a really important option to India when they look at, you know, touring different countries like New Zealand, for example.
0: Yeah, and unlike Adam Zampy, he's still playing a lot of first-class cricket. So he's played 77 games, averages 44, uh, at a good strike rate as well, as you would expect for him. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good shout. I think that, you know, India's top order there with Pajara. Also, you know, Rohit Sharma and K.L. Rahul aren't in the greatest of form. There's still questions over Virat Kohli in Test cricket. Obviously, he's, he's come back pretty well in the T20 stuff, but Test cricket he hasn't he hasn't put that century on the board yet. And then Rahane's also gone from that middle order, so there's plenty of spots open. Even like Hardik Pandy is taking up that number six spot. I'm not sure if he's he's really deserving of that in Test cricket as of yet. Uh, and Yadav could be the guy to come in and and provide some stability as well as the ability to really hit later on in the innings. Um, and potentially be really good overseas as well. You know, on these bouncy pitches, he's played really well, uh, obviously the World Cup and, and in New Zealand now. So he can he can do it all over the world and, and in, in T20 cricket uh, as well as test cricket. So we'll see how that goes. The issue for New Zealand, though, firstly, their batters were terrible. Uh, Glen, uh, sorry, Devin Conway was their second top scorer with 25, but Kane Williamson top scored 61, but surprise, surprise, off 52 balls. So he took up half the innings to only make 61 runs. When you're chasing 193, that's uh, just not good enough. Deepak Huda, though, took four for 10, which is a little bit of a surprise. He didn't even get a bowl during the World Cup. So, uh, yeah, good, good to see him in, in the wickets, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, Deepak Huda played really well. Um, didn't even bowl out, but didn't get an opportunity to. Um, probably would have. Um, but, yeah, um, I think you, you look at that performance, and, you know, Washington Sundar played as well and played quite well um with the ball at least um and um yeah you look at you look at kind of the depth of the indian bowling lineup and you wonder why they don't rotate more than they do because they've got talent down down the line there and they have players who who could probably have a big impact if they were given the shot but you know for whatever reason they keep playing the same bowlers and you know i guess it's probably you know why change a winning formula but they lost in the semi-final and we said that that's kind of a point where they need to you know, examine what they're doing, and maybe part of examining what they're doing is looking at players like Huda, looking at players like Sunda, um, in terms of maybe rotating and trying something different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Hardy Pandy is captaining this side, so that's kind of a nod to the future, as we said last week. That he's probably going to be the next captain if they move Rohit Sharma out, uh, Rishabh Pant moved to the top of the order, and uh, Dinesh Kartik is no longer in these T20 sides. So I'd expect that he's probably done for India after the, the idea was was going to come in and win the World Cup for them. That just didn't, didn't quite pan out that way. Ishan Kishan's also opening the batting. So plenty of different names in there. Trey S. Ayers in the middle order. Uh, played Test Cricket in Australia, obviously. Um, and then Sandry Sampson's in the squad, but didn't play. So they've got plenty of different batting options as well as, the, as they look to rest. You know, Virat Kohli, Rahit Sharma and that. Uh, we'll move on to the domestic cricket stuff. Uh, no surprises here. Dan Hughes hit another one-day century. He's now up to something like nine centuries, four for the year. It Just seems to hit runs no matter where and uh, no matter when. And importantly, this was the first one at a test match playing ground or an international quality ground in Hobart. So he can do it everywhere.
1: He can do it everywhere. Yep. And, um, you know, the more and more Daniel Hughes scores, the more and more we ask the question of why he's never been in a team. Um, But, you know, I guess... Having a legacy as a huge domestic player, I think there is definitely some merit to it. You know, like you think of those Australian teams in the 2000s where there were some very elite players who didn't make the team just because of how strong the team was. You know, you think of Kasperowitz, for example. Gillespie wasn't even necessarily a first-choice bowler. Um, And um, they were all really, really good. Um, So, you know, having an accomplished domestic career is definitely nothing to be ashamed of. And um, you know Dan Hughes is definitely going down as one of New South Wales' greatest ever batters, definitely. and um, you know he's he's just keeping on going along and um, proving that he is that elite talent. And um, you know, opportunity missed, I suppose, for the national team.
0: Yeah, I think it's time's probably passing by though. I think he's thirty four now, and there's you know other opening batters around that'll that'll take that spot going forward. Uh, there's only been two domestic games played this week, so New South Wales beat Tasmania. In that game that Hughes made the century, Curtis Patterson made 92 at the top of the order. They put on 207 together before uh, New South Wales got to 300, uh, 300 for eight. Hayden Kerr was in and Chris Green. I think they're going to be important players in the T20 setup going forward. Uh, Tom Rogers, three wickets. He's He looks really good. Um, Tom Rogers is one to watch out for, also bats a little bit. Nathan Ellis, who should have been in the World Cup squad, uh, three for 54, but Tasmania just couldn't hold the bat, bowled out for 140. Matthew Wade, the best, was 42 for 49. Uh, just, you know, Chris Green, four for 20, just ran through an experience all the way there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that looked more like the New South Wales you would have expected. Yeah. Um, going into the season. Um, so, you know, I guess it's probably welcome for New South Wales fans that they do still have it in them. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're probably also, it's probably also an element of, well, why didn't you start doing this sooner? <laughs> but you know, um, it's, it's, it's good. It's good for the New South Wales team. Um, it's unfortunate for Tasmania that they weren't able to do anything with the bat um, because Tasmania are one of those, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. Tasmania are always quite on the edge of being yes. a really good team. And then they just, they end up having performance like this and they, they, their confidence drops and, you know, they may not have the same like caliber of players to select that other states will just because they're not as high reputation and they're smaller and you know it's colder so you know not as pleasant to live in and anything like that um so you know there's definitely a few elements but congratulations to new south wales really strong performances from hughes and patterson and uh yep uh, a good a good um couple of matches even though we only had a couple a good couple of matches for the domestic domestic season
0: yeah, as, as you said, is nice and cold. It's not really... Uh, so, like, Queensland attracts players like Kawaja and Richardson because of the lifestyle you get if you move to Queensland, you know, nice weather and all that kind of thing, where Tasmania is attracting players that are starved of opportunity in other states and, and want to go over like a Nathan Ellis was. Um, slightly worrying for my super coach team is that Matthew Jilks did not keep. Uh, they brought Baxter Holt in to keep. I'm not sure the reason for that. Maybe it's just a batting thing and they want Jilks they want in the outfield and Holt keeping, but... Slightly worrying for me. Uh, the other domestic game that's going on at the moment is South Australia and Queensland in the Shield. South Australia were five for 25 yesterday. Their top order is is gone, not helped by the fact that Head and Carey are playing for Australia and Henry Hunt is playing for the Prime Minister's 11. Uh, so they've got like Jake Carter and Daniel Drew coming in. Jake Lehman was the captain. Uh, so, yeah, not quite as experienced as they would have liked. But today, well, a little bit of yesterday and today, the lower order fought nicely harry Nilsson with 90 ben manenti we keep talking about 33 with the bat nathan gandry 46 and then where's agar 21 so the fact that south australia do bat down to number 10 has really helped them there to get 240 on the board
1: yeah yeah i mean um you know you look at agar batting at 10 and you're like what's ashton agar doing batting at t- oh wait <laughs> sorry wrong agar okay yeah um, um you know but um yeah all the um all the uh the, the 10 that you mentioned in terms of um that batting lineup mm-hmm. can bat. You know, Mick Andrew's got fifties. Um, we know Menenti is kind of you know a bowling all-rounder. Um Nielsen, well, you know, we, we kind of all know about Nielsen, very good, very good player, very good lower order or middle order batsman. Um, so that wasn't too much of a surprise. But yeah, when you have when you have bowlers that are capable of batting a bit, and um, you know, we've seen that in Australia's test setup with Cummins and Stark. Um, it's really, really helpful and it um, means you're never really out even if you end up having a top order collapse.
0: Very true. So Queensland are currently 36 over through their innings uh, and they are two for 73. Bryce Street was out for 16 with, uh, with Menente getting the wicket and then Sam Truloff out for 15 with McAndrew getting the wicket. So those two, are they're really in the game. Joe Burns and Jack Clayton are there. Queensland also missing pretty much their entire bowling lineup as well as some batters there uh, with these uh, Australian games and, and the Prime Minister 11 games on. Uh, disappointing that they're not playing for their states, but, you know, that's that's the way it goes. Uh, I'd expect Queensland to put on some heavy runs there and probably take the win uh, against South Australia who look pretty weak to be on IPL, though. So Finch and, well, Aaron Finch and Pat Cummins both said during the week that they are pulling out of IPL contention. They don't want to play, uh, don't want to be in the auction, which for me was a little bit preemptive in that they're probably not going to get picked up and just decided, well, if we put out a press release that says we're not interested, that means we're not going to look as bad when we go to the auction and don't get picked up.
1: Um, Look, I could have seen Finch being picked up, but he probably would have been picked up for a lesser fee than he'd have wanted to have been picked up for. So, you know, um, yeah, there's maybe an element of saving face And maybe there's just also an element of too much cricket, you know, G20 World Cup. Oh, we're playing England now. Oh, it's a test summer. Oh, cool. The IPL's back on. Oh, you know, it's, that's a lot of cricket and, you know, you want to have breaks to be able to spend time with your family, you know, breaks to just let your body heal, especially if you come and, you know, it takes, takes a toll on your body when you're bowling lots and lots of overs of fast bowling. And um, yeah. So I understand it from, from both perspectives in terms of reputation and in terms of wear and tear and you know i don't think the ipl will necessarily be hurt by their exclusions um there's plenty of other other talent that'll be raring to go on the auction and raring to go in the tournament so you know ipl is always constantly rotating and sure there are two high reputation players that aren't going to be playing but that just puts room for two more that probably will be
0: I just don't, I feel like these two
1: just didn't want to sit on the bench for six weeks. It's just not kind of, not kind of how
0: they roll. Um, And and obviously this will come and drop towards the end of last season. Interesting for Finch though. I, I thought he would have gone just because this is probably his last chance at the IPL as well as, you know, if he put a good IPL together, he could have potentially stayed as Australian captain and continued in T20 cricket where now he's going to miss out on that opportunity. And if he doesn't perform in the big bash, that's probably it for him. So, yeah, he's let that opportunity go, which is fair enough if that's the way he wants to play things. Some other Australians will let go, though. You'll be disappointed by this. Sean Abbott's gone from the from the Sunrisers. Uh, Daniel Sams was let go because the Mumbai Indians brought in uh, Jason Berendorf in a trade there. Riley Meredith is also gone. Uh, part of that is, I think, because Joffre Arch is going to come back for uh, for Mumbai there, that they've just let some bowlers go. Andrew Ty is gone, and Nathan Koulton have all been let go. While wow. Some of the Australians that have, are that staying. Hazelwood and Maxwell will continue at RCB. David Warner has been retained by the Capitals, which is good to see. Mitch Marsh will also stay there under Ricky Ponting. Tim David obviously staying at Mumbai. No surprise there. Jason Berardoff at Munda, Mumbai. Matthew Wade uh, will continue at the top of the order for Gujarat. Marcus Stornis and Nathan, Nathan Ellis will also stick around. So kind of proving that Nathan Ellis is pretty much underrated by Australian cricket, but uh, celebrated by the rest of the world because he's, he's just that good.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Australia missed a trick not selecting Nathan Ellis in the T twenty squad. Mm-hmm. And um I think most of world cricket knows that now. Um, just his record in domestic T twenties and, and even his record at the international stage is really impressive. And um, you know, good for him. He'll probably get a really good contract and it's gonna be gonna be, you know, a real a real cathartic moment, I suppose, of um I told you so. I, I am better than you think I am, and um, yeah. So you know, good on him. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the IPL plays out.
0: Yeah, and Cam Green is going to be into the auction uh, that is set to be held on December twenty third. So not ideal in the run up to Christmas, but uh, it will be interesting. Unless, like, I think a, a million dollars would be a nice little Christmas present for Cam Green before he uh, before he plays some little Test cricket.
1: Wouldn't it just? Could you imagine being <laughs> being Cam Green's age and just you know getting a whole pile of money and then going on holiday and then going and playing for Australia. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, it's a, it's nice life to live, isn't it? But you know, we can always, we can always hang our hat on the moment on that game where you outscored Cameron Green. (laughs) Yeah. My
0: seven runs are very valuable there. Uh, And the other big news from the IPL was Kane Williamson was dropped from the Sunrisers, So the captain is gone. Uh, 12 months after, they decided that Rashid Khan would not captain and they, they got rid of him. So uh, a decision that's kind of come back to bite them there. Uh, they'll be looking for someone to lead that side again and perhaps one of these Australians will come in and do it.
1: Yeah, possibly. Um, There's definitely definitely a hold filled there. Um, maybe an Indian player will um take up that role. Um, it would certainly be better in terms of longevity yeah. um, of captaincy. But, yeah, I mean, they need... They haven't been been running it perfectly in terms of their leadership group and their playing group as a whole. So there's definitely a point to improve there and maybe they'll they'll take that on board and pick a player that they feel will be a good long-term replacement.
0: Yeah, the Sunrisers are definitely the, the worst run IPL team in that they lose players and lose coaches all the time. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of politicking going on there and, and uh, the owners getting a little bit too involved. But that's where we'll leave things for the week. Callum, where can people find you on social media as well as follow the World Cup?
1: Yeah, so you can find me at Callum underscore Loki. You can find the Australian World Cup podcast at Australian WC pod. Um, you can also listen to us on all your podcast platforms, your Apple podcast, Spotify, as you can listen to the Top Edge as you usually do. And Rory, where can where can folks find you? Yeah, at Rory underscore
0: Dennis everywhere. Find the podcast at The Top Edge Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Make sure you leave a rating and review no matter where you're listening, whether that is the Spotify, Apple, uh, iHeartRadio, a bunch of different stuff. It's pretty much everywhere. Google Podcasts if you're one of the weird people that listen on there. Uh, Yeah, but definitely leave a rating and review right into the show if you'd like to to leave a comment or have anything read out of the Top Edge Podcast at gmail.com or shoot us a a DM on any of those, those social media platforms. But that's where we'll leave it for the week and we'll see you all next week as we wrap up the season of the WBBL.